we have been looking at the Word of God and what it means and, and how we should approach the Word of God because it's a heart issue. And I thought of that uh, video clip that I've shown a few times over the past nine years together. Uh, because you see someone in that, in that video who's, who's honestly just struggling. Struggling with certain truths, certain passages, certain scriptures in the Word of God. And as a result of that struggle, has decided that they're just going to omit what they don't like, what they're not comfortable with, sort of rewrite the Bible according to really their authority, more and more in tune with, with where they're at in life or what they find comfortable or, uh, you know, whatever it would be. But ultimately, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue that we've been looking at. And, and you know, we watch a video like that, and sometimes we're like, oh, how could they? And yet, if we're honest, should probably take some time to examine our own hearts and the parts of the Bible that we find challenging and, and maybe not literally take a sharpie, but maybe figuratively take a sharpie and, you know, sort of begin to rewrite portions of scripture that we just maybe not care for, maybe find too difficult, maybe don't feel so good about and, and what does that bring down to? Well, that's a heart issue. Well, it boils down really to a heart issue, and that's why we're spending the time that we need to spend to really kind of just be honest, be real with the Lord first and foremost. Because we could sit up here and I could tell you, okay, you know, we're all going to do the reading plan, which is great. We can teach you how to study the Bible. We can encourage you to memorize the Bible. We can look at biblical meditation. What is that? And we could do a lot of technique, a lot of to dos, and a lot of tasks to get this. In the here, but if this isn't right, this disconnect can have some very, very big implications for your life and my life. And and you know, we the key verse, James 122 around here, it's like, you know, don't just be hearers, but be doers. And if you think you can come on Sunday and just listen and not do anything with it, the Bible says you're deluded, you're deceived, right? So it's kind of a it's, it's weighty. It's really weighty. Right? And I was thinking about the passage in, in 2 Timothy. I'm just going to read 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. I thought of this passage in light of our culture, in light of our country, in light of where the world as a whole is kind of going into darkness and away from biblical truth. And, and I thought of this passage in 2 Timothy 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And then he goes down in verse 12 and picks up, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, quick question. Anyone here desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Careful, careful, because you know what I'm going to do. Read that verse. 
All. Everyone say all. All. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Persecuted. Get real real quick. It just got real. It just got real. The Lord's going to open. You can walk out of here. And that verse, if you desire to be godly, just got real. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? <laughs> While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, this is the personal, this is personal to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That word continue means habitual way of life. Abide, remain faithful. He says, hey, Timothy, last days things are going to get bad. It's going to get darker and darker. In fact, Timothy, if you desire to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. But he says this, continue. Continue. And I think he says that to us. It's going to get worse. Are you going to continue? Are you going to abide? Are you going to remain That's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Some of us will have to make heart issues before you put your head down tonight because you're going to be tempted. Because the old flesh is going to rear up and you're going to have to make a choice which path you're going to choose. Right? And he kind of gets pastoral. In 2 Timothy 4, he says this. I'll read it to us. I solemnly, solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So he says, hey, okay, Timothy, you're going to know I'm leaving. You're going to be the pastor in the church of Ephesus. Number one thing you do is what? Preach the word. Preach the word. In 1 Timothy, the church is called the pillar of truth. That's what we're called to do. Makes it real simple for me and my job. I'm going to preach the word. That's what we do, right? Then he says this in verse 3. For a time is coming... When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So he says, hey, Timothy, it's going to be really bad. You preach the word, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're not going to want to hear it anymore. They're not going to want to hear it. They're not going to like it. This idea of an absolute God, an absolute truth, inspired authority. They're not going to like that. They're going to go find somewhere else. Itching ears, right? They will reject the truth. Right? And it's a cost. It's a cost we even pay as a church. We're called to preach the word. We're called to be the pillar and foundation of truth. We understand, in today's culture, maybe not the most popular message out there for the culture as a whole that wants nothing to do with God. So I have to count the cost as a pastor. I'm called to preach the word. But as individual believers, I'm called to continue in it. So it's a heart issue. Right? Because, because we've seen in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, you know, all scripture is God-breathed. So if you have a Bible, if you're comfortable, just put your Bible up. Or an electronic Bible. Just hold it real quick. Because we're going to do something. Because there's a, there's a phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Right? You become so familiar with it that you just look past it. So what have we learned 
the last couple weeks. Well, we, we, we've seen the second Timothy treat all scripture as God breathed. So this book or device, we believe, it's like no other book on this planet. We believe the author is God. Not just inspired, but we looked at two weeks ago, authoritative. So suddenly you're holding something in your hand at the heart level is supposed to be authoritative in your life. Is it? You pick this up, go, man, I can't believe this. This is from God. This is from God. Right, can you imagine, like, you got a, a book signed by one of these, right, Harry Potter author, right? You could, hey, look, went to this book signing, she signed it, right? You would be, oh, I got the author's signature, and it'd be so special to you. This is from God. And we looked at it a couple weeks, it's supposed to be the authority. It's claimed to be not just inspired, but authoritative. And then it says in James 1.22, right? It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So not only is this supposed to be authoritative, when you hold this book, you're supposed to say, okay, the author is God, it's the authority in my life, and I'm supposed to do what it says. In fact, hearing and doing is inseparable. See, those are hard issues. Those are heart issues. I can teach it. I'm supposed to preach it. But I, I, I'm called to preach it as accurately as I can. But then I go, boom, here it is. And I pray for you. I pray all Saturday. I pray Sunday morning. I'm praying, Lord, whoever's there, just I pray. Because I can only go so far, then it's got to turn into the Spirit. It's got to turn into the Spirit. Right? So it's authoritative. We're supposed to be doers. But then there's good news. Right? In James 1, 22 and 25, it says, or 1, 25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets what to do right, he will be what? Blessed or happy in doing. And we spent the last couple weeks living it happy. Happy. Who here wants to be happy? Happy, 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 right? Who wants to be happy, right? And we saw that in, in our culture, there's this pursuit of happiness. This sort of American dream, and we, a lot of us live by the, the English word hap. Happy actually comes from hap, which means luck, chance, and fortune. That's not biblical. But we're pursuing happiness according to the American dream, which is luck, chance, and the circumstances all in it. So in your life, what's it going to take to be happy? What's your pursuit of happiness defined as? Right? And that's a, that's a heart issue. Because you come to the Bible, and it says, hey, you're going to be happy in your doing. What? And we spent two weeks, I encourage you to go back and listen to, to the definition of happiness, biblical happiness, right? Because you need to really understand it. In fact, uh, I took the slide of Cyprus, right? I think this will, this will help us move forward real quick. The Greeks defined Cyprus, they call it the blessed or happy isle. Because everything on the island, you had it all. It was a self-contained happiness. You had everything you needed to be joyful, to be satisfied, to be prosperous. That was Cyprus. Well, biblical happiness is the same thing, but spiritual. It's spiritual prosperity. It's spiritual thriving. You have everything you need in Christ to be happy. Amen? Right? That's what we've been looking at. And yet, many of us still... Um, Jesus loves you. Right? And we just, 
disconnect? Where is that coming from? Right? Where supposedly our names are written in heaven, the book of life, right? We're new creations, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? All these incredible truths we've talked about for nine years, and yet, God bless you, brother. Jesus loves you. Right? I mean, where, why the disconnect? Where is that? And I think a lot of it comes from this weightiness and this carryover from the world's view of happiness that we just adopt. And we still live in this if-then, even in the church. If this happens, then I'll be happy. If this happens. And what we've seen in the last two weeks is no. James 1.25 says he will be happy in his doing. Not for, it's not a reward. In your doing, in your following of Jesus, it is a promise, it is a truth of James 1 and 25 that you will experience what we call the Greek word makarios. Makarios. Regardless of circumstance. It is not circumstance driven. It is not feelings driven. It is God driven happiness. Amen? Right? I was talking with Teresa before service and, you know, last Sunday really spoke to her and she told me, and I have permission to share with her, she, she said, you know what? This week, I have really been practicing happiness and joy at home and wherever she's been. She has intentionally been a doer, bringing joy and happiness of who she is in Christ to her home. And she says, you know what's happened to her family? Becomes mom's happy, everyone else is happy. (laughs) You see, that's what I call, that's what we call being a thermostat and not a thermometer. See, a lot of us are thermometers, which means you reflect the temperature around you. What does a thermometer do? It tells you how hot or cold it is. What does a thermostat do? Changes the temperature. See, if you understand makarios, if you understand in your doing, in your walking with Jesus, that you can experience biblical joy and happiness wherever you are, you become a thermostat. You walk into your work, you walk into your house, you walk into your team, you walk into your classroom, and because you have biblical happiness and joy, you impact others. You're now a thermostat because you're happy in doing. We call it happy obedience. Happy obedience, right? And we talked about last week the challenge of the word obedience. How many of you tended to be raised with not a happy obedience. <laughs> obedience was more of a, you better or else, because I said so, right? So we, when it comes to obedience in this word obey, doesn't rock our world. We don't put a, right? And yet we have to work through it because if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to live biblically, right? Jesus himself says this, as Jesus was saying these things, Luke eleven twenty seven. 27, A woman in the crowd called out, Blessed, happy is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Referring to Mary. Jesus replied, he replied, Blessed, happy, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Right? John 13, after he washes the disciples' feet, says, For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed, Happy are you if you do them. See, I wonder, in my life or in your life, if we're not experiencing biblical joy and happiness, maybe there's some things we're not doing. 
Maybe you've kind of got to a place and you just called it good. Well, I'm a good moral person. I go to church, I give, I go on mission trips, and you kind of not so bad, you know, and you just kind of called it good. Well, now you're wondering why you feel suffocated and stifled when there's no joy and enthusiasm in your walk with Jesus. Maybe because there's things you have to be doing. And you just sort of put it to, you just put on cruise control. And you just, that's all, you know? You have to be real careful with that. This word, makarios, it's an interesting word because most, most of the time when we think of blessing, we think of God blessing us, right? And we're in this kind of series on biblical blessing. God blessing us is not makarios. That's a whole different word. And we're going to look at that in a week or so. Makarios is actually, it's not a verb, it's an adjective. And Skip Mullen says it this way. Here's, here's a great description of what we're talking about. He says, there are literally dozens of Beatitudes, blessing sayings, scattered throughout Scripture. But the word, makarios, that introduces them is not a verb. It is not an action word describing God secretly standing behind the curtain, ready to send some reward your way when you fulfill his desires. No, this word is about you. It is an adjective that describes your inner state of bliss. It is a condition brought about by your own actions, not by God's supernatural injection. The whole point of the beatitude is that the state of bliss is within your control. That's biblical New Testament makarios, blessing. It's not waiting around for God to throw a crumb your way and getting mad when he doesn't. Makarios is you walking in faith and obedience and experiencing the joy of doing that. It's in your control. It's in your control. It says that the attitude promises blessing to those whose lives are characterized, characterized by certain qualities as the outcome of faith and relationship with God. So I love God. Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. Daily I wake up and say, Lord, I love you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I will just follow you as best I can today. As you do that, as you live your life as a doer, you experience Makarios. It's an adjective. It describes you. It, this should describe you. See, a lot of Christians, again, it's a hard issue because somewhere along the line, I don't know where it is because I did children's and I did youth, and I'm real careful. I raised five kids. I'm trying to figure out where we turn Christianity into a bunch of isolated acts of obedience. Instead of being a doer, we're just do its. Now don't miss that. Instead of being a doer, which means I've taken up my cross and I'm following Jesus, he's my whole life, right? We're in relationship, covenant relationship. I'm a do it. Which means I listen and I read this because I'm supposed to do it. And once I do it, I can put it to the side and get on with my life. And you can't call me on it because I'm doing it. But the problem is I can do it and have keep I'm still be the center of my life and be far away from Jesus. Because I'm not a doer. That's where you lose the distinct, that's where you lose your makarios. If your Christianity is a bunch of do its and don't its, where's the joy? You just keep in score. And you're miserable. Because you pretty much keep score and you realize how much you blow it. Anyone? Anyone, it takes one, one, one thing for you to blow and it ruins your whole day. You did, you did 10,000 great things and you said a bad word. 
And you're like, <laughs> right? You know why that throws you so much? Potentially, because you're a do it. You're keeping score. If you're a doer, right, and your heart is, you just, Lord, I love you. I said a bad word. I didn't react correctly. Forgive me. I know it's sin. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Okay, thanks. And you keep moving. You receive the forgiveness immediately. And you just, because you're in relationship. You're in relationship. You're not living in fear. Right? How many of you blew it this weekend already? Thank you. Anyone this morning on the way to church in your car? Thank you, right? Right? Okay, so if you're living it as a do it, now you're keeping score. If you're a doer, you're like, oh Lord, man, I just blew that again. Father, how can, you know, and it's okay, you feel the conviction, that's the Holy Spirit. You confess it, you repent, and what do you do? You move forward. Amen? It's the Makarios of forgiveness. Right? That's what we're talking about. And then we saw that in the Old Testament, it's, you get the same uh, blessedness from doing, and the word is Esher. Everyone say Esher. Right? Psalm 1, 1 and 2. It says this. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is someone doing. Esher says, hey, this person who is blessed isn't walking with the ungodly. Right? And it's progressive. We're going to look at Psalm 1 uh, more in detail next Sunday. But there's a progression. First they're walking with the ungodly. Then they start standing and they start talking. And then, and they just sit and see the scornful with all the people who are now mocking God and stopping God. See the progression? Right? Sin is progressive. First they're walking, now they're standing, and then they finally sit. Right? That person says, hey, don't do that. He says, the one who is blessed makes other choices. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. Right? You see the action? It's an action word. It's choices. It's all about choices. So that's Esher. There's another word you might come across when you're reading, especially if you're reading the Old, the Old Testament. Uh, in Genesis 30, it said this, And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed or happy. So she, she called his name Asher, or happy one, right? So Esher actually comes from Asher, right? And you're like, okay, thanks. That's a big deal, right? Well, here's the thing. Words in Hebrew are very uh, pictorial. They're called pictographs, right? And Asher... Right? A share means to be straight, to be happy, to bless, to go straight, to walk, make progress, be led. Right? And so in the Hebrew mindset, if you want to be blessed, Makarias Esher, it's to be right with God, to be straight with God. There's two paths, the straight path and the crooked path. Right? In Proverbs 9 it says, leave your simple ways and live and walk a share in the way of insight. Right? So question. How do you, what, what path are you walking on? What path are you walking on? Ephesians 
4 says, Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of minds. Are you still kind of trying to walk the old path, the old person? Right? Matthew 7 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only in a few find it. So if you're not experiencing a share, if you're not experiencing Makarios, it might be because you're trying to walk both roads. And it's time today to make a decision to get on the narrow road. And ultimately, the true way, the, 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 the foundation is John 14 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you want to get on the right road? God's road? You got to get with Jesus. You got to get with Jesus. So it might be today, honestly, you can kind of like switching lanes. And you're trying to figure out which road you want to be on. And you're trying to split time, I don't know, or percentage. That's why you're not experiencing a share. That's your chaos. Because you're trying to you're trying to play it both ways. Right? You're trying to play it both ways. And then a share also means to be led on. To be led. Right? Psalm 119 says this. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules where you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Right? I read that, and I, honestly, that, that's kind of a convicting passage for me. Because he says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This guy is lit on the Word of God. Like, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How many of you have been struggling through numbers? <laughs> like, what was it today? A census. Oh my, about 603,500, okay. Right, all the ites, the Hivites and the Macaulayites and the Jebusites. And I'm like... I'm not feeling much honey in my mouth right now. I'm like trying to fight off the snooze button right now. It was tough. Right? And, and, and this guy's like, what's going on? And he seems to be really excited to be led by God's word. Led. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So this idea of being led, again, a heart issue. Because some of us don't like being led. How many of you really get excited to be led around? How many of you are like, you're not the boss of me? Right? Because being led touches pride. It touches self-dependence, self-reliance. It touches a very core value in our culture, independence. So a share, a key component of a share of biblical happiness is to be joyfully surrendered, to be led around. To be led around. Anyone here struggle with admitting when you're lost, when you're driving? Refuse to look at the GPS, ask Siri, right? You just like struggle with this, a map and directions, right? I remember before all this cell phone stuff, remember when you had to actually look at real maps? Triple A, trip tick, flip it like this, and you're like, oh, this is kind of cool, right? 
This idea of being led, some of you may have to, may, that may be a thing. It may be a thing. Are you at a place where you say, Lord, I want to be led by you? Your word, lead me, like a map leading me, right? And, and I thought of this idea of taking a trek, a journey, and I thought of our brother Bill. Last, last summer, last July, he went on a trek. A journey, and, and I had the privilege to chat with him beforehand. He had it all mapped out, planned out, right? And he started uh, South Lake Tahoe. Go ahead, I. He started in South Lake Tahoe, right? Right here. And he was going north, that's the border right there. And he went 447 miles on those two feet right there. <laughs> 447 miles. And he had a blog set up, and I would watch him and follow him daily. And, and go ahead, the next one, I. And, and he had these little blue things, they're called waypoints, right? And he was wearing a Garmin device. And, and this is at 10 miles above him. Go ahead. This is 1,000 feet above him now, right? And those are called waypoints. And what would happen is every 15 minutes, right? It would ping. It would go up to a satellite because he wanted to let his wife know that he had not been eaten by a bear, right? <laughs> and that he was still on the path. So he wore this device for all of us. It was actually, how many of you followed Bill? Yeah. Turn around. Look, he didn't even, look how many people were following me, right? Right? You remember that one day, like he was going here, then he went that way? I'm like, whoa, whoa, what happened, Bill? Are you like in a wolf or something? Like someone got you and ran that way? He's off the path, right? So every 15 minutes, this would ping. And it would, and you were following a map that you had laid out. And I wonder, I just thought, what if every 15 minutes during the day, you and I would ping ourselves <laughs> to see if we're still following what we're supposed to be following? What if you just pinged yourself an hour? And say, Lord, what happened in the last hour? Was I following you or did I just kind of do this? Because I got all into myself. And I took some detours and the last hours, you know, woo! How many of you have ever had a, you're going smooth sailing and then your world goes like that for about an hour? And you're like, whoa. And then you kind of get back and you're like, oh, what just happened? And you get your bearings. Well, I thought of that. I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to be led by you. I want to be able, at the end of a day, at the end, right, if this is even just a day, I want to be able to, when I put my head down on my pillow, to look back on my day and all the pains. And really have Makarios, really have Esther, that I follow Jesus today. That I follow Jesus today. Not perfectly, but it was my heart. I stayed, I stayed pretty much on course. How many of you daily would just like to stay on course? Not walk on water, but generally stay on course. <laughs> right? But like if you just if you went from here to here, how many would you count that like supernatural, right? I just don't want to waver this much. I just keep me this. I just want to do this, Lord. I love that. I was like, I want I want that. I want I want Lord to remind me. That's why I don't have it on my phone anymore, on my watch anymore. For a season, I would put my chime every hour. And when it dinged, I would stop as best as I could, whatever I was doing, and I would say, oh, okay, I'd pray. I'd say, oh, thank you, Lord, for whatever. I would just, the chime would bring me this way. 
for even five seconds. It would break the cycle of being so in the me, and it goes ding, and I'm like, oh, okay, thank you, Lord, for this. Lord, help me with this. Once an hour, it was a little wait point time for me. Not one time. It keeps your focus vertical throughout the whole day. It just does, right? In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says this: "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." <laughs> Typical understanding of this is that there's two oxen, right? Usually an older one, more experienced, yoked that wooden thing to a younger one, and they kind of plow a field together. That's accurate, but when it came to rabbis and their disciples, yoke actually referred to a rabbi's teaching. So when a rabbi would say, hey, come follow me, now read it. Hey, come to me all year, we're in burden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching, this is Jesus, take my teaching upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yours. For my yoke, my teaching, my body of teaching is easy, and my burden is light. See, that was opposed to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. That's why he stood out. That's why they didn't like him. So this idea of being yoked to Jesus' teaching, again, kind of a challenge. Because we're really talking about what? Being led. Anyone here have a dog? You walk? Right? How many of you, at times, your dog decides he's done and will not go another step? <laughs> My dog does that once in a while. We never know what's going to happen. Sometimes we make it 10 feet. Sometimes we make it to the end of the block. But I'm going to run something with Coda and have a
They're on a journey together. And it's dangerous. And it's not going to be pleasant. And some people, the Sherpas usually went ahead and they laid the ropes and they fixed it for all the people who were going to come next. But you get on that rope and you hold on and, and many times you clip it. Because you're on a journey, right? And I thought of that because in the Bible, right, I love this verse. I love this verse. Look at Psalm 119. Blessed, happy are those whose ways blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed, happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Being led by the word of God. Right? Is that a good thing working? Yes. Right? But how many of us still struggle, right? Oh, you know, it's a bunch of do's, it's a bunch of don'ts. Right, Jody, we struggle because we're independent. We don't need anybody, right, Matt? Because we've got it all together. Right? And I thought about that. And you know, sometimes I I talk with families. And sometimes in hypothetically, Matt. <laughs> Matt comes in and wants to chat. And this is this is what I tell Matt. Ultimately, this is, this is my heart for Matt. I say, Matt, Matt, you need to, you need to grab the rope. You need to grab the rope, bro. And then sometimes, sometimes as a couple, here's the thing. Individually, they need to decide to grab the rope. And sometimes, sometimes, you know what? It's just not a couple. Sometimes it's a family. And dad and mom have decided to grab the rope and hopefully lead an example that their kids would want to hold the rope. Right? Because we're all on a journey together. We're just trying to bring together, right? And sometimes, sometimes things happen in the family, and brothers don't get along. <laughs> and we talk, and I'm like, Marco, come here. Bro, I, I know you love me, but first and foremost, you gotta grab the rope, because it's between you and the boy. And Austin, I know you love your brother, but it's really not your brother, is it? It's between you and the Lord, so you need to grab it. <laughs> and John, John, I know you love God. I know you love His Word. And John and I have one wonderful discussions about culture. And what I love about this man is he understands, John, we, we, we agree on many things, but both of us, we really agree that we got to hold the rope. First and foremost, there's a lot of things in this country we can't change, but we can hold the rope. <laughs> we can hold the rope, right? And Sally, <laughs> you knew this was coming. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes life and health
Teresa didn't even have to ask. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. There's plenty of rope left. There's plenty of rope left. Pastorally, sometimes, honestly, then one of the grievous things, one of the, the things that really, um, you know, I have to get to the Lord is when people let go of the rope. They just let go of the rope. First Timothy six ten says this: Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. See, that's the thing that really gets me, and it breaks my heart. See, when, when, when things are happening in people's lives and they don't come to church anymore and they're kind of disconnected, at its core, what happened? They let go of the rope to chase something else. That's really what's been going on. You see, we're called to preach the word. We're not here to be the spiritual hope for you. We're not here to, to wag fingers at you. Honestly, what we want you to do is get on the rope because the rope leads you to Jesus. <laughs> That's all we're doing here. That's our heart. That is 100% our heart. Whether there was 10 people in here or 10,000, our heart is to get on the rope. And we're going to come alongside you and help you stay on the rope. And quite frankly, if we see you wandering from the rope, you're going to get a, Hey! Where are you going? We love you that much, we're not going to let you walk away from the rope. And then we're going to wrap our arms and we're going to say, There's the rope. Let's get on it back together. That's what we do. This is the church. If you're on the rope, go ahead and look at it. You're not alone. Turn around. Look. You guys can have a seat. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed and happy are those who keep my ways. You see, I love that. That's just the rope. Just stay on the rope. And here's the thing. That's a promise for you individually, and then it's a promise for us as a church. See, all the missions and everything, where does missions come out of? The rope? Doing what God says in His Word and, and through prayer and counsel. Okay, Lord, where are, you, where are you leading the mission team? And if you're on the mission team, grab the rope. Let's go. Men's ministry, women's ministry, where are you going? What does God's Word say? Just get on the rope. Let's go. If we just stay on the rope. Proverbs 8.32 says we'll be blessed. We'll be happy because we're keeping His ways. Amen?
Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you. That we can choose to stay on the road, to stay clipped in. We're on a journey, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. In Timothy, we, we saw it's even going to get more dangerous in the latter days. But I praise you, God, that we're not alone. You will never leave us nor forsake us, and we are part of a church that tenaciously will cling to the Word of God as our And so, Father, now, as we just had a time of reflection, Father, maybe, um, maybe there's some heart issues, whether it's authority, whether it's um, how we perceive being led, whether it's pride, whether it's, Lord, maybe we've never chosen the way of Jesus. Maybe the first step for some here this morning is to get on the Jesus road. Come to him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my rope is easy. And my burden is light. So if you've never, if you've never chosen, put your faith in Jesus. I encourage you to do that this morning. The best way you know how. Trust him for salvation. And maybe you've been playing both roads and kind of you're exhausted because you haven't made a commitment. Maybe this morning it's time to make a commitment. Maybe you've drifted off the road. Maybe this morning it's time to come back to the world. The Word of God. Relationship with Him. So Lord, wherever we are in this time of song, in this time of prayer and reflection, bring the application. Just bring the application. Because we don't want to just hear it today. 